Hello, welcome into the next installment of the My Wheelhouse podcast. In a second, we'll be bringing in uh, My Wheelhouse senior Jersey correspondent and many more, uh, Al Biddy's Nicola. Um, we're going to talk over a whole bunch of things. Um, I don't know when this is going to come out. I'm pretty confused about how SoundCloud and all those other things work with uh, podcasts. So if you listen to this and you know how to do podcasts, hit me up with a text so you can fix everything for me. But uh, let's get Biddy's in there. Hello, Biddy's, are you there? I sure am. Hello, hello. Welcome back into the My Wheelhouse podcast. Feels great to be here. I love having you. Love having you. It's holiday season. Everything going well for you over in the Chi Town? I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. Yeah, good cheer. Do you, do, you have, do you have a tree up? No tree. We used to have a fake tree. And it was a point of contention between two old roommates. Um, anyways, we had to leave it behind because it was really hard to pack. That's understandable. I, I could recommend a small tree. We have a small tree that's maybe four feet tall in our current establishment, and it's very nice. It only fits five or so ornaments, but it holds up. We also decorated our Christmas cactus, so there's lots of cheer all around. What's your best ornament? My best ornament? Game on one tree, starter. On the tree right now... Like, I just decorated my mother's tree, and my best ornament there is a lumberjack who has a wife, and the lumberjack has a tree on his shoulder and an axe, and he has a huge beard, and the wife has a full turkey. So they're a good pairing. And our tree right now, we have a a lovely family. Yeah, we have a lot of snowmen and uh, wool hearts on our tree currently. So uh, quite the the range. Yeah. Um, But let's let's get into some NBA discussions. Uh, The association. That's right. Since the most recent Thanksgiving holiday, uh, our Boston Celtics have been surging. Um, You could say that maybe it's because of a lightened-up schedule, or maybe they're just starting to hit their stride. They're now uh, 15 and 10, but since Kyrie's uh, fuck Thanksgiving quote, they're a very solid 6 and 1. They did lose the game right after Thanksgiving. They did lose, the, yeah, so they, they won immediately afterwards, but then they lost oh, to the okay. Mavericks, not yeah. not very far off. So yeah. coming off of that, that was a tough tough loss. Um, that was the game that Jalen got hurt, and um, that was uh, a One of Luca's many victims. Oh, yes, we will, we will certainly get into Luca <laughs> a little bit later. But our other victories, we had some uh, chump change wins, but we took care of business. With some big uh, win differentials over Atlanta, teams like Cleveland, the Knicks, and then uh, the biggest win slash loss, depending on how you look at it, last night of the season against the Chicago Bulls, uh, we beat them by basically 60 points with the second 55-point victory of the year. The uh, the Bulls weren't the victim of the other one. I forget who lost, but the Mavericks won the other one. I think it was Mavericks versus Jazz had the other 55-point victory. But this is like the first season since 1960-something that there have been two 50-point victories in the same season, and we're only a month in. Yeah, so, I feel like with teams bombing threes the way they are, yes, there's just going to be a team that gets hot every, you know, once every month or so, and it's just going to be a ridiculous blowout like that. It's true. So in this little stretch here, these seven games, uh, we've been experimenting with different lineups, uh, more mm-hmm. so out of necessity rather than winging it, but maybe a little bit of both. Uh, as we said, Jalen fell down in uh, the Dallas game, which was the second game of this stretch, where I consider maybe the turnaround was in the Atlanta game previously where he did play. Uh, since then, we've seen both 
Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart brought into the starting lineup. Um, we've had Bain start one game, I believe, but now he's out with the ankle sprain. We have Horford and, resting with yeah. a couple games. So we're, we're solving injury issues here and there while also catching our stride. What, what have you seen from these new lineups that we're getting going on? Yeah, just when the Marcus is in is so huge for the uh, the chemistry on the floor. There's a real urgency that the starting lineup plays with when you got Smart and Morris Sr. on the floor. Um, and I think that, you know, it really does spread to every other player, and especially with Smart's defense, kind of makes everybody else look a lot better. And so just more urgency and not playing from behind like they had been during the 10 and 10 start so frequently. Hmm. Uh, I think that's really been the biggest part is that it's not the five most talented guys, but no. it's the best combination to have out there. Right. Earlier in the season when we were struggling and 10 and 10 was the only reason it was a struggle is because we had such high expectations coming in. Um, it was because similar to w- the way we started last year when we went on that 16-game win stretch, uh, even in those wins, we were falling down early. Yeah. And then we were fighting our way back, and it was more so not necessarily that there were roles that were tiered across the team in terms of each person knowing what they were expected of them, but it was, it's just a little bit more foggy this year so that when we did fall behind in the beginning of the season, in the beginning of the season, the first 20 games or so, um, when we tried to fight back in, teams, players weren't necessarily being selfish, but they were trying to d- dig the team out themselves because yeah. maybe ability-wise they know that they could, but it was to the detriment of the team offense and the flow of what was going on. Um, and that but, was, I think there's something to be said about rewarding a guy like Marcus Smart who is happy in his role and showing the rest of the team, setting that tone that you know if you're going to play hard and be happy at being your role, then you're going to get rewarded for that. And if you're a young player like Jalen Brown or Terry Rozier, maybe that does make you rethink some things in, in your approach to playing more team basketball. Yep. And, I mean, I I proposed that before we started to get hit with just, like, a couple of injuries here and there that, like, laid way for an excuse, kind of, to make a lineup change, to bring in Marcus for a Jalen who was injured, and then yeah. just stick with that now that Jalen's back. Um, that was something that I thought we kind of needed to begin with. And it, there's phrases that you can throw on, like too many cooks in the kitchen, whatever you, what have you. But I yeah. think that my thought process was that we need to get one guy going and then slowly work in the other people. And I proposed just like sitting people. And I said, maybe to start off in a random game, we should just sit Tatum, Jalen, and Horford and only play Kyrie. And then the next game, you can bring in Tatum. And the next game, you can bring in Jalen and just see how that type of thing works. And that, that just kind of happened naturally, sort of, with the movement of Gordon to the bench, even though he wasn't hurt. And then it was Jalen getting hurt. Um, these players have more wiggle room to work through their kinks and to trust the system a little bit more now. So now we're seeing less mid-range jump shots when we're uh, down in the game from Tatum. Now we're seeing uh, Horford uh, being able to step into his role a little bit more confidently. He was, I feel like he was a little uneasy shooting the ball in the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, now, and I think he's played himself into shape a little bit as well. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. And another thing is, I I do think to a degree the struggles in the beginning of the season might have been a little bit overstated. I think if you looked at 
our efficiency in terms of shooting from the field, from everywhere on the field, from near the, near the rim, from three, and from mid-range, everywhere on the field, we were dramatically below, like, our expected field goal percentage, our field goal percentage last year, and just what you would think when we were shooting based on what you were looking at. But now, in this seven-game stretch, we're back up, and we're shooting closer. Obviously, we're shooting a little bit higher than the mean now, but it's because we're going to progress back towards what our overall statistics should be. In the seven-game stretch, we're shooting – we're shooting uh, 50, 40, 90 almost. We're shooting like 51, 42, and 86, I believe, from the field. So we're like leading the league in like true shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, all that baloney. And, yeah. and, it, and it shows. And, and maybe it is because we're playing defenses that aren't as strong with a complete crud team like Chicago with a Jim Boylan coach <laughs> who is doing hockey line changes with the worst bench in the league. It makes absolutely no sense. But we are seeing it in good games. I mean, we played the Pelicans really hard. Um, we had the Minnesota game, where, which was Gordon Hayward's uh, coming out party of the season. Yeah, even, the resurrection. I, I, I kind of feel like we can shift to Gordon a little bit. I, I like that he's on the bench and that he's able to really thrive against the other team's second units. But I, I kind of feel like he was bound to have a big game eventually. And that game obviously came on his 30-point, 9-rebound, 8-assist game against Minnesota where he hit Cold several late, that line. That's right. Several late, late shots. He was really clutch. He was uh, everywhere defensively. Um, but I, I think he's going to have a rocky season until uh, mid-February. I mean, even in the past two games, uh, three games or so against New York and Chicago after that Minnesota game, he was much less assertive. And, and he didn't play poorly, and the team didn't need him because we were winning by either 30 points or 40 points, depending on which game it was the entire game. Um, he, he seemed to maybe not take a step back, but maybe it was more of a blip than a change in trend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's reestablishing his feel for the game, and he looks not very confident. You know, I was I was at the Knicks loss, and you know, there's you get, you get a little bit better feel being in the building, and he just he hesitated so much. He looked to pass rather than being aggressive. So I think just reestablishing his feel for the game. And he's also essentially on a new team as well. Um, and, and so really having to develop your feel for the game after the injury and get yourself acquainted with a new team at the same time uh, is a pretty big challenge. And I think that being able to take advantage of second units coming off the bench is uh, is something that will help him a lot. And I think eventually getting him back in the starting lineup instead of Marcus Morris uh, is probably what I feel will probably be our best look. Um, but for now, I think him on the bench is great. I agree. And, I mean, just to put it into perspective, in this seven-game streak here, or the six-and-one stretch, I mean, he's only having the 12 points a game, but it's on good efficiency, and he's, he's only playing – uh, like on just under 25 minutes a game, so we're still like slowly working him into a higher minute load. But he again, it, it shows when he's on the when he's on the court, the offense makes more sense, and he, and he puts in effort defensively, and he's doing a good job. I, I like him in lineups with. Uh, they tried get lineups with uh, just Jalen and Tatum in the Chicago and in the New York game, and Kyrie and Horford were on the bench, so they had either Marcus uh, Smart or Terry in the game, and he was kind of the de facto point guard almost. 
Yeah. I, I really liked how both Jalen and Tatum played in that stretch when Gordon Hayward was in, uh, just really the ball handler and the distributor and like kind of the main decision maker in that. So I, I like when he's on the floor because I feel like it helps the other players make more sense of their roles. And that was something that's different than the first 20 games that we saw because of, I don't know, they, they were more so colliding and clashing, even though they like, it wasn't that there was a lack of chemistry. It was just they were struggling to find out where their, their specific spots were and such. I think he's doing a much better job with that. I mean, he's, he's like a plus 12 in these seven games. And almost every Celtic is a plus something. We have the highest plus. We have, like, the highest net rating in the league over this stretch since Thanksgiving. Yeah. But he, he is, like, a top four plus minus on the team. And I think that shows when he's on the court. Uh, how do you feel about uh, Jalen? Um, he's shooting, like, 70% over these six games. And, obviously, I think he's only played four of them uh, yeah. because he has been hurt. But um, he has been feasting. Um, from weak defenses, I mean, we, we've seen him torch Damian Dotson, and we've seen him eat up uh, the, the guard, backup guard, Blankney on 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 Chicago. So I, I don't I don't know if this is this is probably good for him because out of all the Celtics, I think that he had the most disappointing start. Um, so I think it makes sense to wane him back in off the bench, uh, coming off this injury, even though it wasn't a serious injury, he just fell. Um, yeah. I, I think it makes sense to bring him in off the bench, hopefully get up big in these games because we're playing some weaker opponents, and then be able to have him play a heavy minute load against the weaker aspects of the opponent and really hope that he can thrive. I mean, he's averaging 18 points the past few games. He had 23 and 21, but most of them came in uh, garbage time. Uh, what, what are you seeing from him in comparison from maybe last year when he was thriving in the playoffs, averaging 20-plus and had a couple 30-point games? But now where he's kind of getting his footing, but in the beginning of the season he was struggling so much. Yeah, Jalen, you know, anybody who follows him, like, off the court knows that pretty, like, introspective guy. And I think that he was really feeling himself in the playoffs in an elevated role last year. And then he came into the season talking about winning five titles in the next six years or right. whatever he was talking about. So I just I think that he wasn't ready for what the team was going to be with, like you said earlier, too many cooks in the kitchen. So I just think that he kind of needs to, and, and is resetting just his approach to the game and carving out his role on the team. And most nights he's not going to be a major factor offensively. But if he's efficient, then that's really all he needs to do, and he's going to sprinkle in some explosions uh, scoring-wise throughout the course of the season. Just all in all, he isn't one of the more important players on the team just based on his talent. Um, with And I'm, by that, I mean, obviously, Kyrie's ahead of him, uh, Tatum, Horford, and um, Hayward – you know, those guys should all be ahead of Jalen Brown at this point, which coming coming off of being the number two guy and probably in his own head number one last playoffs, I think that's just tough to readjust. I think he's he's coming to terms with what his role can be, I think is a uh, maybe a, a more accurate way to just be able to figure out what his mindset shift might be. Uh, if you listen to him talk in these past couple of games about coming off the bench, He's really positive, and he thinks, hey, whatever the team needs to win, um, obviously I'm 
uh, starting to find my footing a little bit more than I was before, and I, I'm I'm getting a little bit more confident. Um, I, I think two stats to really uh, be a good microcosm of his struggles in this season in the first 20 or so games, literally before Thanksgiving. So start of the season to before Thanksgiving, he was attempting close to five three-pointers a game, and he was attempting only two free throws a game. And in these past six or four games, because he's only played four, but in these past four games, those have completely flopped, and he's just under two three-pointers attempted in the game, and he's around five free throws attempted in the game. And, he, and that shows. He's attacking the yeah. game a lot more, and he's touching the paint. And, th- and that really reflects over the whole team. The team in the beginning part of the season was kind of just hucking and just saying, okay, I know we need to attempt a lot of threes, and maybe, maybe they were doing it to a default. But now all of the players are doing a much better job at attacking the paint and drawing contact. Uh, Tatum and Jalen most specifically, but clearly Jalen has taken, taken another step in terms of uh, really getting his flow of the game started in the paint and around the rim, um, making sure that he's going to the free throw line, drawing contact. He's been more aggressive as a finisher, and he's been a better uh, finisher percentage-wise because that was one of the hugest struggles in the beginning of the season. Um, so I really love that from him because in the games last year, even in the, uh, specific, specifically in the playoffs, um, he succeeded most when he attacked the hoop in the beginning of the games, and, and he got to the foul line, just like he is doing now, and then he stretched the game out. Got a feel for his shot and what it was going to be like that night, and then he stretched it out. And the big games where he had 30 points with a lot of threes, those usually started with him getting his first eight or so buckets close to the rim off of uh, cuts and uh, off transition. And I, I just think that back to the overall point of it, I think the team, again, I don't think that our struggles in the beginning of the season are, were that uh, nerving. I, I think now it's just the team shooting a little bit better. We're, we're getting out in transition a lot more, and, and we're playing more of our game. I think the players are just figuring it out. I, I don't, yeah. I think the, the lineup change can be a scapegoat for the, for the difference that we're seeing, but I don't think that that's dramatic, and that's why I think when the lineup does shift back, because I think eventually we will see either Gordon or Jalen or both. I don't know. I love Marcus Smart in the lineup and the starters, but I'm okay with Morris moving out. Um, either one or two of those guys moving back in the starting lineup, I think it'll be fine. I think the team will benefit from it. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of learning about what the best lineup's going to be when we need in the playoffs that will uh, will have to happen throughout the course of the season, but... You know, I think timing is, is a huge thing in terms of the struggles being overblown. You know, whatever happens in the first month of the season, it kind of takes until the new year for that to for that narrative to change. And so, going 500 in the first month of the season is going to be uh, just a lot more ridiculed than going 500 in January. Right. And our schedule, it, it toughens up a little bit coming up, but we still have some really good guinea games. We've got, we got the yeah. Pelicans tomorrow night on Monday, and we've got the Wizards. Team, good teams coming up like the Pistons and the Bucks and the Sixers, but sprinkled in between those games, we're going to play the Suns, who are the worst team in the league and maybe the worst team the league has seen in the past like four years. We've got the Hawks again. We've got the Hornets, who have been spiraling since Kemba uh, has really fallen off since his like crazy start, uh, MVP start in the first ten games of the season. So I think it's, it's it's a really good schedule to test this team that has made improvements since this lineup change and since Thanksgiving and since Kyrie saying that's Thanksgiving to sprinkle in these games that should be gimmies with games that are going to be competitive. And I think it'll cultivate and, and culminate on uh, on Christmas versus the 76ers. Uh, it's going to it's going to be coming off uh, a big game against the Bucks on the Friday, December 21st. So I, I think that game will be the big test of the season to that point, even though the Bucks are playing better than the 76ers. How we play in that game, 
uh, those two games will be a really a, a test to, to reflect uh, what to expect moving forward. Yeah, um, and I think, I think tomorrow against New Orleans will be interesting because we played Davis well uh, we in New Orleans, but he's done some pretty hefty damage against us in the past. So he's, uh, you know, wouldn't be a big surprise if he does a you know a forty twenty night against us, and, and that ends up being a loss. But you know. This this week we have Pelicans, Wizards, Hawks, Pistons, right. and that should realistically be a three and one or four and zero stretch. I agree. Um, yeah, Anthony Davis, obvious MVP candidate. You, know, you got to strap those guys down. Uh, another MVP candidate, and depending on how you look at it, MVP front runner is uh, the one and only King, LeBron James. Uh, the Lakers are sixteen and ten now after a rocky start. I believe they were like three and five, and people were hitting the panic button. Um, but since that since that rocky start, his uh, his efficiency has really skyrocketed. He's averaging averaging a very LeBron pedestrian twenty eight eight and seven, uh, his lowest assist total in a couple of years. Um, it, he's I, I think he's pressed though like a turn it on button earlier in the season than he has in years past. But at the same time, he is still reserving the effort that you see him waiting to use late in the postseason. So he's, he's able to turn it on because I think of his transition to an, a perimeter game and towards a more of a cutting and, and less – he's not he's not at 100%. What is LeBron James playing at right now? He's the MVP of the league at this point, and he's, what are you playing at, 70%? So, yeah, I would say 70 to 80. Right. So we're seeing him step on the gas a little bit earlier, but still you're clearly able to tell that he has a lot more to go. Um, what are you seeing from LeBron so far, and how are you liking – the, the young Lakers around him in terms of their specific fits or maybe their value as a trade ship? Yeah, I don't think it's an ideal team to be around him just in terms of the talent, but I think, you know, LeBron's obviously one of the smartest players to ever play in the NBA. He knows exactly the situation he's in in terms of playoff seeding in the West. He needs to have a better regular season than he had during those Cleveland years, if they're going to have a real chance to make a run rather than, you know, a few games is going to separate uh, two and eight, it looks like. So I think he is bringing a better regular season effort and I think definitely in the running for MVP. Um, you know, not not sure about who is going to be the guys that they're going to hold on to. And – um, you know, whenever Davis becomes available or whenever a big star is available for a trade, I wouldn't be surprised if now Ingram does get dealt where they were so uh, stingy in, in holding on to him when Kawhi was available. So yeah. I, think, I think they're definitely they're definitely regretting that. Yeah, and you, who knows? Kawhi might be a Raptor for life. Um, but... Yeah, I think this year is going to be a lot of figuring it out, and I think that playing in the West, it's going to be nearly impossible to get past Golden State, even though Golden State hasn't been world beaters yet. Um, but really impressed with what he's doing, especially this being uh, year 16 for him. I agree with that. I, I think that um, his play so far – and how it reflects on the play of his teammates um, really shows that 
simple acquisitions can help this team. And I don't think they need to make a home run swing to be even the second best team in the West. We're seeing how wide open the West is and how yeah. competitive at the same time the West is. You got the Warriors and then two to 14 is literally a crapshoot. It, it's going to yeah. be any team could finish at any spot. I think some teams will probably are going to be more likely to fall out. Maybe we're going to talk about some of those uh, in a little bit. But I, I think the Lakers have just as good of a shot as any other of these squads. The OKC, the Utah, I mean, Portland, depending on what teams you're looking at in terms of who's playing good at what time. It's more so just who's going to hit their stride come playoff season. And I, I think that they have a reasonable chance. We saw how much a Tyson Chandler acquisition just invigorated this team over a four-game stretch. That that's that's what sparked their their win stretch. Uh, yeah. They they had a stretch where they went like eight and one, just based off of them getting a middling backup center, and that that <laughs> solved so much for them because that was actually a, a person in a role they desperately needed. This team had no backup center, and yeah. it's just something that easy can fix a hole that was making them so much worse. LeBron has been remarkable. I mean, he's had several triple doubles. Uh, he's been the best clutch performer in the NBA. He's got the most points uh, per fourth quarter. Um, he's, I mean, we see him struggle in some late games. Two games ago at San Antonio, he didn't wasn't able to close it out at, like he was the night before when they had a home away uh, back-to-back against the Spurs. But in the first game, he certainly closed it out. That was one of the more impressive games of the season where he dropped 42. Um so what I think we're beginning to see is it doesn't matter right now who fits and who doesn't fit around him. It's just which of these young guys of the foursome of Hart, Kuzma, Lonzo, and Brandon Ingram is going to figure it out that they mesh in terms of what their role and what their play style is with a LeBron James to where you're saying this guy should be on the roster come playoff season. And what I'm seeing is I think Lonzo is a definite. I think yeah. Kuzma is a definite. Josh Hart started strong. He hasn't been playing as well of late, but I think his play style matches what a player that would help LeBron in a LeBron team should be. So I think he's uh, more yes than a no. But Brandon Ingram, man, he's one of the more frustrating players to watch in the NBA. Um, The the popular statistics in the past couple weeks have been showing what his efficiency and what his statistics have been with LeBron on and off the floor. But if you watch the Lakers with, with LeBron James on the bench and with Brandon Ingram at the helm of the offense, they look really, really bad. And maybe yeah. Brandon Ingram is be able to accumulate more statistics based off of usage. But this guy doesn't look good out there. He, he's, he's, he's weak. He's weak. He's slow. He's, yes, he is shifty. And, yes, he has length. That way he can fall into certain defensive statistics and fall into the ability to finish over smaller guards, but I have not liked the improvement that I was expecting from him. And, yeah, sure, he has improved in certain aspects of his game. Um, but overall, they are clearly kicking themselves that they were holding on to him in a Kawhi deal. And I think that they should absolutely be floating him out there and for a potential deal like a Bradley Beal trade. And I think that Bradley Beal would obviously be a player that fits like a glove with a LeBron James Laker team. And I think that they should be willing to shift off some picks and do whatever they can to bring him in. The Lakers still have enough wiggle room where they could do some cap gymnastics and they can work some stuff out where if they do make an acquisition like a Beal, that coming up in free free agency, they could still acquire their dream uh, acquisition like an Anthony Davis or maybe a signing a Kawhi Leonard if they get lucky. But that's that's the trepidation against doing this this trade right now. They're saying, oh, if they go out for Bradley Beal, they won't be able to sign Anthony Davis. But I think they can do maneuvering. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think that I haven't liked what I've seen from Ingram. I think it's becoming clearer and clearer 
every single game that I watch that it's just not a great fit. And maybe he could transition his game, but I, I haven't liked what I've seen so far from Ingram. Yeah, and with Ingram, like, I just think from the start, he's a Duke guy, Duke guys are overrated, and he's a Laker, and Lakers get overrated. Not all of them, of course. Right. But, and then he's, like, this super skinny scorer, so that had KD comparisons. And I just feel like the thought on what he would become makes people think that he's – actual current value is higher. Right. But realistically, he does not strike me as a player that is going to be an all-star. No. And not at this point, th- at least. And I think he would have to be, like, number four or five on your team if uh, if you're going to win a championship. I agree with that. I, and I think, um, not to say that he couldn't turn into an all-star, and I think that he could if he had the right role. And, I mean, when I was saying earlier that when he succeeds best, it's when he has a high usage and uh, the ability to make mistakes and just kind of have the offense at the palm of his hands. Um, it's just that that's going to be the best shot that he has to develop into the player that people expect him to be when they're saying he's going to be a great uh, NBA player. But that's just not on this Lakers team. And I think that if he went, if hypothetically, if like the Wizards did do a blow up and they traded John Wall for some cap relief and a bunch of picks to like Orlando and then they traded Beal to the Lakers and they got Brandon Ingram back and Brandon Ingram was the fulcrum of that offense, I think that Brandon Ingram could be an all-star in two years because I think that that's the type of situation that would cultivate his abilities that he has under the surface. But right now, they're not fitting. And I don't know if I trust his mindset to be able to transition or alter his game to make it work better with what he is currently being given him as an opportunity. I don't know. I, I don't trust it and I don't like it. But LeBron James is going to help no matter what. I, th- I think it's clear that they're obviously a playoff team. The people that were saying the Lakers aren't going to be a playoff team are ridiculous. And what you're seeing from LeBron <laughs> James, a, 2000, a 2003 draftee with his counterpart Snello being ushered out of the league and he's putting in a a, a good friendship phone call for Carmelo Anthony, even though he knows the Lakers aren't going to sign him, just saying, hey, it would be great to have Melo on the Yeah. Even though he knows full, full and well that the Lakers aren't going to sign him. And then we have B. Wade, who has been surprisingly good this season, but he's on his farewell tour, and he's, not, yeah. and he's hurt left and right. And then we have Chris Bosh sitting courtside of the Raptors games, being honored as a legend, but this guy's younger than LeBron James. So it's just like comparing him and not even his own draft, but moving past all these people, you can go to like the 2007 draft. Yeah. And it's just the longevity of LeBron is blasphemous. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing in year 16, Kobe's really the only other guy that's been at this level. Statistically. Um, yeah. Which does make me worry a little bit because Kobe fell off so quickly. Um but that was often injury related. Yeah. I, you know, when he came back from that Achilles, it was like, well, this has got to be it. And then he was still putting up stats, but everything like efficiency and team yeah. success really fell. We haven't seen LeBron have a serious injury. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I think Kobe put up – the stats I looked for was points per game year 16 and beyond. I think Kobe put up 25 in year 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and so LeBron's doing it right now in year 16. Just the worry that – what what if the injury does come? Because it wasn't like Kobe was this injury plagued guy for a long time. He had the one, and then it was often just like came back. 
Yeah, he had injuries, but they were like a broken finger or like, you yeah. know what I mean? They weren't, they weren't, it wasn't like career altering injuries until the end. So that's true. But I mean, LeBron has been a gladiator in terms of uh, health and LeBron, yeah. LeBron puts uh, a million plus into his body every year. I don't know if you listen to, I completely forget who ran the podcast. I'll send you a link, but someone did an interview with LeBron and his trainer and LeBron just like talked about his like eating schedule and about like the things that he eats and like doesn't eat in his body. And it's like, it's the most meticulous possible thing ever. And like, he knows when he's going to eat, he knows what he can and cannot eat at all times. And everything is like so specific and the, his like specific, uh, his trainer, I forget what his trainer's name, like makes him a different like style protein shake with different ingredients depending on how many minutes he played that night that he must drink exactly 10 minutes after he gets <laughs> off the floor. No, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. And, and it shows. Method. Well, it shows. Yeah. TV shows. <laughs> Maybe he's on the TV show. But, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Tom, I don't think Tom drinks. I think the red wine, I think all LeBron's red wine is, uh, breaking the TV 12 method. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen LeBron discuss how he wants to play until Little Bronny's in the league, and that, that would be in, what was that, four years from now? He just played his first eighth-grade game. He dunked in the game. So that's five years. Five years from now? Impressive. So he would be 39. I, I see no reason why he can't do it. I mean, we're seeing stars like Vince Carter and, and Dirk Nowinski. Uh, they're extending their career to the point where they can be uh, reputable role players, yeah. and, and they weren't crazy body and health enthusiasts and, and they weren't uh, like, I don't even know how to describe it. They don't like a superhero. <laughs> exactly. They, they, they don't have the same build or, or I don't know if I want to say mindset, but I, I think that LeBron is more likely to get to that point than the people that we see there now and the people that we have seen not get to that point. So I see no yeah. reason that he couldn't play to age 40 plus. Yeah, like I would say the only reason would be if he didn't want to do it. Right. You know? But it's clear I, that he does. He wants to play with his kid. He wants to get there. Yeah. That, that draft pick, that draft is going to be so valuable just to have whatever pick it looks like Bronny's going to be in the range of. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be good enough to be like a top five pick because I have no clue. I've seen like I think he's like here 15th and there. to rank right. eighth grader. Right. So, so <laughs> a little early to be looking. Right. So maybe he's the 10th overall player in 2024 or whatever. Yeah. That you know, number, with, that that range is going to be so valuable because if you don't have LeBron James and you draft LeBron James Jr., he's he's either going to want to trade assets to your team that you just drafted, or he's going to want to come to your team. And either way, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Valuable. So that would be interesting to watch. And Rich Paul is going to have even more stars under <laughs> under under his umbrella. That's true. That's true. Um, all right, you want to transition to some other teams that we've maybe in the Western Conference. So the, the Lakers kind of have. Uh, we assumed their spot in terms of what we were expecting maybe in the beginning of the season, but there's a lot of teams that have been rather surprising to start. Uh, yeah. You, know, so, you could say the Kings and the Clippers, but I, I think one of the bigger surprises in, is the Memphis Grizzlies. In the season preview, yes. we, you, I think you said to me, would you like to discuss Memphis? And I said no. I agree. That was a good, <laughs> was a good open, answer by you. We, we openly disrespected them, um, but Gasol looked great and has – a legit shot at an all NBA uh, spot, which yep. yeah, for sure. he kind of thought he was backsliding in his career. So to see him take a step forward again is really surprising. And Garen Jackson has proved to be an excellent pick. Yeah, and Jackson's remarkable. Yeah, you know, definitely seems like he might be um, the number two rookie of this class. 
Yeah. I, I, I like what I've seen from Memphis. And I don't – I think although they are a surprise team, I don't know if they're the number one surprise team. I think that what we're seeing from a Memphis squad when Gasol and Conley is healthy is what you would predict. I mean, these two guys are all-star caliber, even though yeah. Michael, Mike Conley's never been an all-star in his entire career, which is surprising. But they're all-star, in the last. Right. They're all-star caliber players that are a motivated, gritty, and uh, just strong core that uh, really emanates good leadership and just a good energy. And you can tell that this team just has chemistry built throughout because of the mindset of those top two guys. And then yeah. with the with the with the, uh, the just infusion of Jaron Jackson, who's been phenomenal to say the least. He looks like he's gonna he's essentially a new breed of stretch five that could also be great at the four, who can defend uh, four positions easily and five positions depending on who the fifth point guard would be. And offensively, he can stretch the floor to three. Um, this this guy looks like he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate in the future, and he looks like someone that is absolutely primed to take over the Grizzlies franchise franchise when Gasol takes a step back. And I think yeah. the reason it was so surprising is because last year Conley went down early, and the team behind Conley and Gasol is so, so shallow and so terrible, to be honest. It is. That they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have a shot. As soon as Conley went down, Gasol knew it, and his temperament and his mindset completely changed. And Fizdale didn't. And Fizdale didn't have a good comprehension of what was actually going on and wasn't able to change his thought process and his tactics and his lineups. Accurately <laughs> he's, going, he's going through it again in New York. Yes, he is. He, he wasn't able to do it. So that's why we saw Gasol get frustrated. That's why we saw Fizdale get fired. That's why everyone was saying Gasol was on a downswing because his effort just was not there because his new, he knew his team didn't have a chance. And that's why this team isn't supremely surprising to me. And I think that it could just be a 10-game stretch where one of them goes down, and I think they immediately fall out of the playoffs, and they won't be able to get back in. Because if you look at the guys that these – and Jaron Jackson is easily their third-best player, and it's not even close. And if you look at the other people on the roster, they're complaining about not having Dylan Brooks there. They're playing Marlon yeah. Brooks heavy minutes. Javon Carter in the beginning of the year was playing heavy minutes. They're depending on uh, random people like uh, Sheldon Mack. Like, their their roster is a joke. Like, their yeah. team is very, very bad. And it's we, similar, we, similar to how New Orleans is, you know, crying over the loss of Alfred Payton. You know, just if you don't have depth, then a pretty non-spectacular player still means a lot to you. And, I mean, this team got lucky. They got lucky with the Jaron Jackson selection, and they got lucky that the year that Conley got hurt and that landed them in the top five of the draft because of how awful their surrounding talent was, they got lucky that this is one of the strongest drafts that we've seen in recent memory. And if you look back in their draft history, this team is awful at selecting picks. Ready for their last, like, seven – Ready for our last, like, seven first-round picks? we got Wade Baldwin, Jarrell Martin, Jordan Adams, Tony Roten, Xavier Henry, Dominique Jones, Grievous Vasquez, to be DeMar Carroll. Like, this team is terrible at drafting. They're very bad. They can't evaluate yeah. talent for the life of them. And even when they do hit on a good player, they, they famous – not famously, but they – back way back, whenever – what was it, 2008, Kevin Love was drafted, 2007 – they had that pick, and they traded him for O.J. Mayo, who at the time looked like he was going to be a great scorer, but he fell off the face of the earth. 
So this team really lucked into Jaron Jackson, and I think that they have a lot to look forward to moving forward because of Jaron Jackson and because of the leadership and hopefully the, the teachings that will be passed down onto him. But they're still in the same exact spot that they have been in the past couple of years, that if one of those two main cogs falls off and gets hurt, even if it's for a short period of time, I think they fall out of play, playoff contention. I can't really blame them for picking out Jay Mayo if you watch yeah, his great. final if you watch oh, yeah. his final high school game. How do you yeah. not invest everything you have into that you're, player? You're very right. Uh what about some other surprise teams? What have you seen uh what who are you more surprised with? The Clippers or the Sacramento Kings? I would say the Kings. I just think with the Clippers they were holding the top spot, but everybody's so closely stacked in the West, they can mm. very well finish you know, closer to the bubble. And so the Clippers being not garbage wasn't a surprise. And I think the Kings adding another team unexpectedly to this mix, definitely a lot bigger of a surprise. And clearly De'Aaron Fox has been the primary reason for them playing so well. Yeah, he was my number two pick behind DeJunta Murray for most improved player. (laughs) (laughs) Think he has a good shot. I think you beat him a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're both uh, around. I think they're both more surprising than Memphis for me personally. Um, but because based off of expectations, I think you have to say Sacramento is more surprising, even though they're obviously not as good of a team as the Clippers. Um, the thought process around the Sacramento Kings was that they were the worst team in the league and that they were going to contest with Atlanta and with, with not necessarily Phoenix because Phoenix, honestly, was a team that we were expecting to take uh, a mini Sacramento jump. But teams like Atlanta and uh, the Knicks and certain teams like that, we were expecting this team to be bottom of the barrel. Um, yeah. I got I got to give Dave Yeager some props, even though I still don't think he's that great. He's not a top 20 coach in the league, but he's improved from the worst coach in the league to maybe the 23rd coach in the league for me. Um, he, he's giving uh, De'Aaron Fox the green light, and he's putting players on the floor that are willing to run. And this team, when they're on the fast break, they're really, really good because they're young, they're fast. I, I, I think De'Aaron Fox is the fastest player in the league. And, oh, and, and they look, and they look good. They fit the part. Bagley, even though, and we'll get to it, or I guess we can kind of transition it in now, but Bagley, yes, he was the wrong pick at number two overall, and they should have picked, they should have picked Luka Doncic, but it's okay. It's okay. They're gonna be okay, because Bagley- Is it? Is it okay yeah, though? Yeah, they'll be alright. They'll be alright. Because I think Bagley fits with, uh, with Darren Fox so perfectly. And once he develops more confidence on the offensive end um, and hopefully uh, some semblance of a right hand, I think he's going to be a remarkable pairing uh, with, with Darren Fox. These two are probably one of the most athletic pick-and-roll combinations in the entire league already. And when they're in transition and on the break, they're really a sight to see. And he, he's already surpassed. A, tons of expectations in terms of where he would be defensively, in terms of where he would be in the, his ability to stretch the floor, and in terms of where his ability to be would be uh, just in knowing the game and like knowing his spots and his spacing. And, and he's, I thought he was going to be the, the third or the fourth pick in the draft behind Doncic and Aiton, and I thought that he was going to fill out whatever team to a lesser degree than he is filling out on Sacramento. And even now, He's playing limited minutes. He's still coming off the bench. They're still starting Cauley Stein and uh, Namani Bielito over him. 
And in the future, he's probably going to move over to those guys. And I think that he still has all-star ceiling, and I think he could get there. It's just that it's unfortunate because this draft is elite, and they let a superstar who might be yeah. an all-star this year in Luka Doncic go past them. The so black I, father. I, he, he betrayed I love the his Eastern European roots. I don't know. Why, why, how could he do it? I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. We, we can transition to the rookies overall. This draft class is, I think, it has... I think it has an argument to be the deepest draft class ever. I don't know if it will be the best draft class ever because there, any draft class that includes such high-tier talent like a Elijah Wan and a Jordan or yeah. a LeBron and a Carmelo Anthony and a Dwayne Wade, even though those are extremely top-heavy, just because of those names alone, and, and even like the Kobe draft that had Peja and Nash, that, that those names that are on top of the draft, those might still rank above it, and obviously we're still in the rookie season, so it's hard to say. But if you just break this draft down into tiers, you can go almost 15, 20 players deep for players that are contributing on competitive teams. My tiers are, the number one tier is just Doncic, Luka. And then I, I, I threw Darren Jackson in that tier, but Doncic is still clearly the number one. So I, yeah, Doncic and no Darren question. Jackson are the first tier, but Doncic is obviously the rookie of the year. I think he deserves an all-star nomination this year from what we've seen before. He's if been he was one in of the, the East, then oh, well, he would be he would be a top like 10 Yeah, I, I mean, he'd be ridiculous. I, 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 I don't know. But continuing, my second tier is just like a slog of guys that changes week to week depending on yeah. what you're seeing. And I, I got I got Aiton, I got Shea, I got Trey, uh, Trey Young in there, I put Bagley in there, I put Wendell Carter in there. And then I was low on Sexton to start the season, but ever since J.R. Smith called him out and they traded uh, or they just took him out of the rotation and employed him as a starter, he's been great. He's, he doesn't have a lot of dy- dy- dynamicism to his game, so he, he doesn't add a lot in terms of uh, rebounding the ball or passing the ball. And his defense yeah. is intense, but it doesn't transition into stats more so. But he makes an impact on the game. He can score, and I like Sexton. He's not a franchise player, but he's no, good. He's, not, he's an okay pick at eight. You can just keep going, and you keep looking at these players, and you got Alex Bridges, you got Kevin Herter, you got Josh Okoji, you got Robert Bo Williams, Hamido Diallo, Mitch Robinson. Mo Bamba hasn't been that great, but he's he's a starter, maybe my fourth tier, but he still looks like he's going to be a good starter. Mikhail Bridges, White Dante DiVincenzo, Aaron Holiday, Landry Shamit has been like a mini JJ Redick that has played like minutes that matter for the 76ers. Elliot Colbo and DeAnthony Melton on the on the Phoenix Suns. I mean, the Suns are terrible, so they're playing these guys out of necessity. But they look like they have chops that'll last in the league. We saw they're Jalen not Brunson. playing Josh Jackson. Right, that's really weird. Josh Jackson is he's falling off the face of the earth. We saw Jalen Brunson play great clutch minutes against the Rockets in the game that basically Luca willed to a victory. And then I I, I ended out the bottom of my tiers with uh, Kevin Knox and Grayson Allen. I think Kevin Knox has probably been the most disappointing rookie so far. But that's what is that? Nineteen names. Every single one of those guys is going to be a good NBA player, and it's just crazy yeah. to think about. They're averaging um, statistically like blasphemous stuff. I'm I'm worried about Mo because we knew that Mo was a project, <laughs> and you know who does really bad at projects? The Orlando Magic. And, yeah, I am um, worried about Mo too. And so, I don't know. Hopefully, he's just the tall Victor Oladipo. and just needs to be somewhere other than Orlando. But yeah. Um, Really great class, and a guy like Trey Young probably had the target on him to be like the bust of the draft, and he's mm-hmm. proven himself. Um, Wendell Carter's been 
very good out Trae, here in Chicago. Trae Young is averaging 15 and 7 assists. He's only shooting 25% from three. So he's got only up to go, and he's already been great. He's only got up to go, and he's been great. Yeah, he's got the keys to the car. That's right. um, and then just with Luca, who looks like a transcendent talent, and in last year's unbelievably competitive rookie of the year race, I think what he's doing right now would have won that season I agree. as well. I mean, he's, he's the best player, a playoff contending team, that in the beginning of the season, everyone had locked in to a lottery team. And it's obvious. He's the go-to player. He is one of the top five clutch performers in the NBA season so far. He is transferring NBA moves that he wasn't getting the respect for having. His step back is maybe a top five step back in the league. It's like Harden, Kemba, and then like, is there anyone that you would put above Doncic after Harden and Kemba? His, his step is, back is remarkable. He it is so lethal. What he, what he did to Houston was, I mean, you just don't see that of a rookie. He's averaging 18, six and a half, and four assists per game. And I think that he could average more assists per game. We're seeing him start to mesh a little bit better with uh, Dennis Smith on the floor. And Dennis Smith, it's not that he's struggling. It's just that his role is changing. He was the hub for that team last year where – they had a high-usage, low-efficiency scorer in Harrison Barnes. And Dennis Smith's job was to be a lightning rod and score and attack the hoop and be a distributor. And although that kind of was his M.O. coming out of NC State, he has transitioned in recent games when he's been healthy because he has been battling with injuries. He's transitioned to being an off-ball player very, very well, who has completely transformed, sort of transformed himself defensively. The effort yeah. that he's putting in defensively, especially on guarding ones and twos, look, has looked great recently. And his catch-and-shoot numbers have gone up, and I think that they're starting to find a better balance. In the beginning of the season, they were, what, two and, two and six, two and seven? Just and start. It's because they were trying to put Doncic in too much as a secondary ball handler at the four, which was his, just his nominal starting position, rather yeah. than the primary ball handler who can defend fours with – uh, with uh, Dennis Smith as a secondary play creator. And I think that everyone is falling into place a little bit more. I'm really interested to see how much Dirk has left in the tank when he comes back. <laughs> but um, Doncic and Dirk clearly have a very strong relationship. I mean, yeah. he, he's, he's, he's a must-watch player. Like, when the Mavs are on, I have to watch it because Doncic is remarkable. I, I think I – don't, I don't know. I really hope that this team can stay on playoff contention. I mean, I controversially picked them as my eighth seed in the playoffs. I was a big doubter of that. Yes, and if Doncic continues to play at this level, I think they will continue to have a shot. I mean, they're not going to be a home court team. They're not going to be a five seed or a six seed, but they can sneak in as an eight seed who's just a little bit over 500 if they continue and, to be, perform so well in the clutch on the shoulders of Luka Doncic. And they gave Atlanta their pick to get Luka, so no reason to do any right. sort of tanking. And that pick is going to suck. It's going to be a, a pick, it's going to be pick like 15. It's going to pick 14 in an extremely top-heavy draft. But I, yeah. I don't know. I, you, as, you gotta you gotta watch Luka. He's crazy. Yeah, like as as poor of a decision it was to pick eight in their Bagley instead of Luka. To pick right. Luka and then trade him. Oof. That's that's going to haunt. Hawks fans for, I don't know, 20, 20 but, years. But like, at the same time, like, it's going to haunt them. And similarly to what I said about Bagley, like, Trae Young's going to be good. Like, Trae Young could easily be an all-star. 
like he could, and like he's gonna he's gonna help that team when once they get another top pick. Like this team next year could have a starting lineup that included John Collins, Zion, and Trey Young, and then in three years from now, that's an awesome, exciting playoff team with Trey Young at the helm, and he could be an All Star. It's just like yeah, he's not never, right now. He, right, he, 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 he's not well, gonna bye. be. He's not going to be Luka Doncic. And while some people say that's a problem and ATL is going to regret it forever, I think that they'll be all right. They'll be all right. They didn't know that Luka Doncic was going to be a superstar. And instead, they got a potential all-star. And when obviously when you look at it in a vacuum, it's a, it's a loss. But I think overall, they'll get over it. And similarly, how Bagley will be fine for Sacramento, I mean – Every team makes this mistake every single year in the draft. There's always a player that gets drafted too late. There's always a team that picks a terrible guy over someone else that ends up being incredible later in the draft. And this year, it's more excusable because you're more they're better players. Than I am. Right, exactly. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I think you're, I think you should be more forgiving. I, I obviously <laughs> they made a mistake, but it's much better picking, uh, Trey Young instead of, uh, Luka Doncic than it is picking Josh Jackson instead of, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Like, 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 I, like, or that, that wasn't even the same draft. That was, no, that was the same draft. That was the same draft, it's, yeah. It's just like, it, it, it makes more sense. Kevin Knox is the only player in the top, top 12, top 12 that's been bad. He's the only player in the top 12 that's better than And he's, he could still be great. And I, I don't know. I'm very excited about this draft. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be very, Awesome to look forward to. Yeah, great addition we, to the league. We need to have a great, great infusion of talent. We need to see more Bo Williams for sure because I think he has the ability to be in that second tier if he plays more minutes. Right now, he just got his, uh, he just had a birth of his first kid, baby daughter. Congratulations, congratulations to Bo Williams. Bless so up. He's been he's been spending a lot of time in in the G League on the main Red Claws. Um, the main Red Claws, I think, have a top-notch name in the G League. The G League is pretty hilarious with their yes. names. And it, the, the range between really good names and really bad names is pretty hilarious. Like, I, I don't know if you've looked at the G League names, but there there's some really bad ones, like the Raptors 905. Raptors 905. Is that just, is that just their zip code? Like, that stinks. That's the terrible. area code, yeah. And uh, then the OKC Blue, like, that's awful. That's really bad. Yeah, but uh, it's a pretty hilarious thing to watch. I mean, I, but, I've gotten some exposure to it because I, I started playing 2K, and my guy was on the Fort Wayne Pistons, or, or the, the Mad Ants. Ant. Mad Ants, the Mad Ants. Great yeah. name. Awesome name. Fort yeah. Wayne, Mad Ants, fantastic, fantastic name. But there's some so, other good ones, too. Yeah, I did a top three. But honorable, honorable mention is the Agua Caliente Clippers. Purely um, because of Agua Caliente. Yeah, exactly. I would have... I would have Maybe place them higher, but my rule was you can't have the same name as your I, team. Um, I felt similar with yes. So my number three team is the Sioux Falls Sky Force. I had them in my top five for sure. You know, and I think really my favorite thing about this is that Sioux Falls is the G League affiliate of the Miami Heat. And so if you really want to motivate a young player – Middle of February, you can be either on the team in Miami or you can be on the team in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, great. It's great. You really want to make sure that uh, you're in Miami. Uh, number two, I have the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, where 
your 2K player is uh, based out of. And then, he's been okay. He's been okay. Number one, a really creative name, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it, is the Capital City Go-Go. Okay, I like the Go-Go. Team. I like the Go-Go. Wizards? Yeah. It's pretty sweet. I'm in for the Go-Go. I think there's some really good ones. Um, I like that list. I'm a big fan of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. I, I just I think it, it rolls really nice off the tongue. I think I like I like snakes in terms of them uh, being a mascot. Can you think of a single snake that's a mascot? It's a pretty vicious animal. I think that they have the ability to be a strong mascot, and I like them there. And then I liked uh, I gave some props to creativity and um, it meshing well with uh, the city and uh, history. I really a big fan of the Memphis Hustle. I think that's a good name. I love the Memphis Hustle. Memphis Hustle is great. And then after that, it kind of falls off. A lot of the teams are just wherever their location is, and then Warriors or Lakers yeah. or Kings or Spurs. Um, one that's a little unusual, the Mavericks. I think they're the Legends, which I thought was kind of stupid. So I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't rank yeah, them very well. It's, it's like you couldn't think of anything. So it's like, oh, it's called the Legends. What do you, what do you think about the Delaware Bluecoats? Um, I'm guessing that there's some sort of Revolutionary War uh, explanation behind that, yeah. and I'm in favor of Delaware having a team. I agree with that. I feel like that's a great minor league location. All right. Uh, do you want to close it out discussing the new hockey team in Seattle or a potential tight race for the sixth man of the year? Mm, I think that the Seattle hockey team should be called the Seattle Nirvana and I also think Bye. Seattle should have a basketball team. Why is Seattle Nirvana? That's where the band Nirvana's from. I didn't know that. That's great. I guess it's a cool yeah. name. Do you think so? Is are they going in that gym? Is it, is it going to be a transition gym similar to how like the TD Garden is and other gyms like that? Are they going to try to label it as a transition gym? Um, it's a new stadium, right, for the hockey team. No, it's Key Arena. Where? Oh, is it really? Wow. Yeah, where the Sonics that. used to play. So oh. it got renovated, and um, they're ready for a team. Yeah, and so in 2021, Key Arena will be home to the Seattle NHL team as well as the Seattle Storm WNBA. So do you think that? Which so makes the WNBA champs? Yes, that's right. Shout out, Go Tom, Brianna, Brianna Stewart. Um, which Go makes m- which makes more sense? Uh, expansion, including the Seattle Supersonics team, for the buyout of a team uh, that may not have as strong of a following like uh, Memphis or something like that when Conley and Gasol are gone or something like that. Yeah, I think New Orleans is in big trouble. I agree. And, uh, Especially if Anthony Davis leaves. That yeah. Could be, I mean, that could be when they get ready to sell. The, I mean, the guy could go down as, like, the top 20 player of all time. He's trapped. And, and they just they can't get people in the seats. Um, I think it just it's a football town, and um, I just I, – I, it doesn't seem like they're that excited about their basketball team. And I think Seattle has a lot of tech money in it, and it just it makes, it makes a lot more sense. Makes a lot more sense in Oklahoma City, but it makes a lot more sense in New Orleans and Memphis, uh, among others. That uh, they yeah, have they have, they have such a big team. a big following, and it, I, I want them to get a team, and that sounds like a great plan. So if it's get Anthony Davis, 
and then immediately afterwards the Pelicans are bought out and moved to the Seattle Supersonics where, uh, who knows, Julius Randle is the next coming of uh, Sean Kemp on the <laughs> Supersonics or something. Yeah. I think Zion um, should be required to play there. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would buy a Zion Supersonics jersey in a heartbeat yeah. without, without a thought process. Um, okay. all right. You want a toxic man? I think that I, I, I just want to do a top five, and we don't need to break down the actual race, but I, I think yeah. it's one of the more competitive races in recent memory because more often than not, six-man is just who averages the most points off the bench. Yeah. And what, what we're seeing this year is there are six-man that are making a difference in the team's win-loss record, more so based off of effort and their chemistry with uh, the team rather than scoring. So whereas we still do have your typical uh, visitors like Lou Williams, who is in the running, we have new guys that are this, this glob of bigs. Every single one of them has an awesome argument. And uh, the three for me are Montrez Harrell, Randall, Julius Randall, and DeMontis Sabonis. And every single one of those guys has been awesome. Randall's averaging like 19 and 9. Sabonis is one of the most efficient players in the league. And Montrez is one of the main reasons that the Clippers are 16 and 9 to this point in the season. You could argue that at points he's their second or third best player, depending on how you feel about uh, Gallinari. But I, I, I love what I'm seeing from all three of these guys. And obviously there's more people that you can include, but it's, it's such a statement to the league's uh, this crop of talent that the six-man race is no longer are we going to give it to Jamal Crawford or are we going to give it to Lou Williams. And, and now it's moving to there's legitimate contributions across the board from maybe 40% of the teams in the league have an awesome six-man. And it's great to see. And the Celtics are... Uh, it aren't, probably aren't going to have one in the running because we're going to be starting players here yeah, and there. Really but, hard. I mean, you, you could say Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward. Or, I mean, there's so many guys on each team that have been really remarkable off the bench, and I think they deserve a lot of credit. I love Julius Randle, and I think that uh, the the Pelicans do not be able to retain Anthony Davis. He could step in, and he has an all-star ceiling. I don't know if Sabonis has an all-star ceiling, or I don't know if Montrez has an all-star ceiling, but these guys are going to be awesome role players for the foreseeable future. They're all young. Yeah, I uh, I agree with everything you said, yep. but okay. Lou has been very important for the Clippers and he's kind of been doing a little like Isaiah Thomas impression, closing out the games for them, and uh, I think think you got to keep your eye on Lou. I think that he's – I don't think that he's been – consistent enough uh, start of the game to end of the game. He's been their closer, and that's why that team is so interesting. The Clippers team is because they have specific guys that fill different roles. And Lou Williams is the guy who comes into the game, and if it's a close game, he's going to give you a great shot of winning that basketball game in the final minute of the game. But what we're seeing out of Lou Will from the first half of games and stuff like that is he's completely different. And uh, I I think that that Montrez deserves it over him on the same team. Because I think his energy is more consistent throughout, and I, I think it matters more. And I don't know, we, we see there's other players too, like uh, in the beginning of the season when they weren't starting J.J. Redick, I think he deserves recognition, but at this point, he's not there. Uh, but Kyle Kuzma 
doesn't start every single game. He Sometimes he comes off the bench. He's been great, but I think they've started to start him more recently now too. I mean, the league the league is so talented, and you can tie it in with the last question. We could handle an expansion. The NBA could handle a team, a team or two more because of how many uh, just stars or budding stars or just strong role talent that there is in the entire league. I mean, one of the biggest uh, complaints is uh, superstars now have to have a super team to win in the finals. And that's not it. It's just that there's too many good players that the winning team is going to be a super team because there's so many good players. Yeah, I think I think if they did expand at the same time, they should consider uh, allowing larger max contracts, which mm. I know that they've already done. But I think in terms of preventing those super teams, if there was more options to go to and get a, a bigger payday, I think we might see a decline. You know, if you know, we're talking now like a $50 million difference over the life of the contract, then you might see you guys being a little less willing to team up. That's true. Well, we'll have to wait and see. The league said that they're not going to likely even consider expanding until 2022, but you can keep your fingers crossed. All right, Biddies, thanks for uh, joining the My Wheelhouse podcast. I enjoyed it so much. uh, I hope your Christmas season continues to be uh, very jolly. Yes. Uh, Say hello to all the people over there. I'll hold it down for you over here. Thank you very much. All right. Peace. All right. Peace.